And Dennis Stewart joining me, Jane Klein. Dennis, um, infertility, it's a big problem for some couples. Mm, And mm. herbal medicine, does that actually help? Well, Jane, I think it does. And this morning I'd like to just look at the way in which using traditional systems of medicine, such as herbal medicine, can participate, become part of a team, if you like, in conjunction with mainstream medicine in helping couples Uh, conceive when they're having great difficulty doing so. I've never seen any one system of having all the answers, but certainly herbal medicine has a part to play. We might talk about that. Sounds good. And we'll take your calls as well if you've got something you'd like to talk to Dennis about. 49216216 will get your questions through to us. Dennis Stewart, um, you are well known for your treatment of infertility. You've been doing it for a long time and you've Mm. found some good things that Mm. work. Mm. Look, it's um, been a very significant component of my 30-year journey in complementary medicine. And um, it's been a fascinating journey because it has demonstrated that in the area of infertility, despite the magnificence of modern scientific approaches to promoting fertility, um, there is nevertheless a very, very important niche that exists and which on many occasions can be met by using complementary medicine and and in particular herbal medicine. Now, this is not to say, Jane, that um, I'm encouraging people to bypass uh, the mainstream medical approach. What I say to people, and particularly couples who are having difficulty conceiving, get your groundwork done. If you're having difficulty and you're worried about the time in which it's taking to conceive, go via your GP. Get the investigation done. I get couples frequently coming to me uh, as as their prime practitioner wanting me to initiate treatment in this regard and the first thing I say to them is have you been investigated have you been to your GP have you done all the groundwork to rule out any major major obstacles to your falling pregnant and this could mean on the part of the male his sperm profile could be inadequate on the part of the female it could mean that she has something like endometriosis Um, these things obviously need to be medically investigated and ruled out prior to uh, couples initiating, in my opinion, any aspect of uh, fertility management. Now, frequently what happens is couples that have been investigated um, and shown to be quite sound there that there is no reason why they're not able to conceive will then seek management either through uh, the expensive um, IVF procedures, and they are expensive, or uh, even initially seek to use particularly herbal medicine, um, which is a much cheaper option, obviously. Um, But um, put it this way, I have found that in those situations, and particularly in what we refer to as functional infertility, that is in couples that have had a dismal uh, period of time trying to conceive, even in couples that have used um, modern medical techniques and have spent a lot of money, one couple I'm thinking about, spent over $80,000 and it was only when they utilised herbal medicine that they conceived. What I'm saying is that despite the advancements of modern medicine and the modern fertility procedures, which are excellent and I recommend them and have no problem, in very many cases after people have spent a lot of money unsuccessfully or with younger couples that are balking at the expense of having to, to pay out on this, herbal medicine is tried. And my experience over the years is that very, very frequently this will lead 
sometimes to an astonishing result where a forlorn prognosis has been given by the mainstream medical investigators and treaters, couples told that they'd never be able to have children, then using the traditional system of medicine based on herbs, this frequently is climaxed in pregnancies. And one of these days when I finish practice and settle down to write my book, I will write about the whole history of my experience in finding a famous fertility formula, uh, which I've lectured on all around Australia and in New Zealand, um, which has helped hundreds of young couples achieve what was thought to be unachievable using herbs. So even in the 21st century, even in the 21st century, herbal medicine has a role to play when it is sensibly used, based on clinical experience and good literature. It has an option to offer to couples who are not getting the result, if you like, using the mainstream, even after having spent a lot of money. Infertility, and we've got more to say on that, mm. I'm sure. It, uh, interesting topic, Jane. It is indeed. Mm. And 49216216 for your interesting topics. And Bruce from Elibana. Hello, Jane. Hello, Dennis. How are you? Hello, Bruce. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Dennis, I've got a, um, uh, a question on a subject that I hadn't previously run across before. Um, one of my grandsons has mild autism. Yes. And he's now also been uh, diagnosed with what they believe to be a disease called pyroles. Yeah, look, I have I have trouble with this uh, with this modern concept. Uh, without mentioning any names whatsoever, and I don't want you to mention names, mm-hmm. uh, is the practitioner treating them a medical practitioner? Uh, he hasn't started any treatment yet, Dennis. No, has the has um, the diagnosis the, the, been given by a medical practitioner? No, by a naturopath. Uh, I would, uh, before I would uh, take that on board, and I have difficulty taking that concept on board, by the way, I would insist that you speak to your general practitioner and get some clarity on it. I have trouble in accepting this um, thesis, this hypothesis that's circulating about these so-called pyroles. They're frequently being mentioned today, not only by naturopathic people, but also by some uh, medical practitioners, I dissent from that interpretation and would suggest before you embark on anything, um, particularly with reference to autism, make sure you do it via your medical practitioner and the appropriate uh, medical um, people. It's interesting you say that, Dennis, because um, when my daughter told me about it, I uh, I did some research and it appears that pyroles is not supported generally by the medical fraternity. Um, and that, in fact, um, because of the broad range of symptoms, it could be identified as being linked to virtually anything. And, and without advancing on that too much, I guess that's what I was hinting at, Bruce. Yeah, yeah. No, I take, take on board what okay. you're saying. What, and, uh, what you, you probably got the message, even though I practice complementary medicine, you would have picked up from my programs and my general stance that I am as much mainstream as the mainstream and see complementary medicine, particularly herbal medicine, playing a role in areas that are well-defined. We don't need to be looking at what I call left-field interpretations to make complementary medicine work well. Health Naturally for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre, talking today about infertility and herbal medicine and how that fits in, and also any topic that you would like to raise. And uh, David has rung in on 49216216 from Jules. Hello, David. 
Oh, hello, Dennis. How are you? I'm well indeed. That's good. Before I say something, I've got to send a cheerio to you from a couple of ex-students. Oh, yes. George Dimitriadis and Penny Thatch. <laughs> they, would be some of the, they would be some of the first students that ever studied with me in Sydney. And, well, uh, I'll tell you what, George is a good friend and I think he's brilliant. You've taught him well. I know. I remember George very well in the Elizabeth Street lectures that I used to give and I can still remember Penny Sash coming as a young, attractive, South Australian, well-spoken student coming yep. to uh, my classes in um, uh, St Leonard's many, many years ago. Yeah. And I remember yeah. the time she came and said, I've been looking for you all over Australia. I thought, my goodness <laughs> me, I wish women like you look for me all the time. <laughs> no, well, give them, give them my Regards, I remember them well. <laughs> uh, thank you, I will. So okay. The reason for my call is um, I've had some recent medical checkups and yes. everything is fantastic Good. except blood pressure. Yes. My blood pressure is high. Mm-hmm. Um, it does run in the family. Yes. I've got no cholesterol, no blood sugar problems. Um, everything's functioning well. Good. It's the problem. Um, and I'll be honest, the diet's a little bit to be desired, mm. but um, I was just wondering if there was something I could pick up commercially, um, a, a herbal... Uh, now, look, um, I will be, I will be uh, blunt with you and say that hypertension is not something to fiddle with, and if your doctor has interpreted that you have hypertension and has scripted a medical preparation, might you go for it? There's uh, nothing wrong in protecting yourself against a silent killer. And you would know as well as I do that uh, I have as much regard for the mainstream as I have for myself. And in the area of hypertension, I have no embarrassment in saying that I take blood pressure medication myself. Fair enough. You, you, You do it and live long and live well. All right. Thanks so much for your help. Thank you, David. And that's nice, isn't it, to it catch is up? Indeed. That's just uh, vicariously. I can I can remember those people um, like um, it was only yesterday, Jane, and that would have been going back, oh, the late seventies, early eighties. Um, gee, that's a long time ago. Four nine two one six two one six. If you've got a question for Dennis or a story, and Frank has rung in from Charlestown. Hello, Frank. Hello, Dennis. How are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. Good, good, good. Dennis, my wife is suffering from tinnitus. Yes. And uh, it's causing a problem and yes. she can't sleep at night time with yes. this hissing and buzzing in her ears. Yes, yes. And we've been to the GP and been to an audio specialist yes. and uh, been to an acupuncturist and all those people. Mm-hmm. Frank, with this condition, in my opinion, it's not an easy condition to treat. And I think your uh, medical people probably would have told you the same. Exactly, there, yes. There are two options available in herbal medicine which um, are inexpensive, safe and should be tried and if you're going to try them need to be tried over an extensive period of time. Now the two approaches, first of all the the first one is based on a modern uh, potential associated with the sophisticated preparations of the herb ginkgo biloba. Right, yes. Now ginkgo um, is or is a herb it's a tree uh, it has been made famous uh, in recent times by by the germans 
who developed one of the first preparations, I think it was called tabonin, but there are numerous sophisticated ginkgo preparations in the market. Uh, they're available usually over the counter without script, and if you look at the, or if you Google it up, you'll find that it has a, a documented history of being useful. Now, that's all I'm going to say, useful. Um, everything I've read suggests that it needs to be taken for a very extensive period of time for it to reflect itself beneficially. But I have had uh, patients over the years who have vouched for the efficacy of the modern preparations of ginkgo in subduing to some degree their experience of tinnitus. So that would be one of the things that I would recommend that you access a good quality uh, ginkgo preparation. If you, uh, if you go down to Warner's Bay there, which wouldn't be far from you, uh, yeah. they would stock preparations of strength and quality and would be able to help you there if that's what you wanted to do. That's principle number one, but Google it up and look at it yourself first. And if you were wanting information on a a brief uh, summary of it, I have an article in my rooms at New Lambton that I'd be happy uh, to to send to you. Uh, Just send send a stamp addressed envelope to my rooms at 39 Alma Road, uh, and I'll send you the article. But if you were to Google up, you'd be impressed with the role of that herb, not only in tinnitus, but in many other conditions, particularly that afflict us as we get on. So that's the first herb. In the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia, which I have worked with now for over 30 years, uh, first or published in 1983, one of the most useful breakthroughs in accrediting um, herbal medicine, a a book that was put together by British medical practitioners, pharmacists, pharmacologists, and, and and herbalists. In that book, there are three herbs that are recommended for for tinnitus. Uh, One of them is a herb called ground ivy. Ground ivy. The second herb is golden seal. Right. And the third herb is black cohosh. Black cohosh. Now, yeah, Now, the last two are, are American herbs. Ground ivy is a European herb. Now, normally what happens there is that those three herbs would be combined together in their right proportions so that a dose would be established for the combination. So if you were to go down that pathway, it would probably be wiser to come to New Lambton to the dispensary and have that mixture made up and proportioned for you. But I would suggest first up, first up, that you run with the ginkgo and give it a good run. And when you say a good run, you say for how long? I'd say anything up to six months. Right. And let me emphasise, it's not an expensive supplement. And I take ginkgo, not for tinnitus, but I take ginkgo every day of my life because listeners would have heard me say on this program that I consider ginkgo uh, together with hawthorn and ginseng as being one of the most remarkable remedies to resist what I call the, the ravages of ageing. So, so start with ginkgo, see how that goes, but have up your sleeve the recommendations from the 1983 edition of the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia. Well, that's very good of you. Thanks very much. See for how you go. Thank you, Frank. This is Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart taking your calls on 49216216. Larry, hello. Hello. Hello, Larry. Yeah, Dennis. Uh, yeah, I was listening to your program last week and uh, giving some advice on like circulation. Oh yes. And uh, I, I haven't got much trouble, but um, like I, I go to my GP regularly, and I was asking him about the circulation coming up, like when your your blood goes down into your feet and comes back up. Yes. 
and like he said, it was slower because I got I got a few various ways. Yes. Yes. A little of that, yeah. all that checked out. Good, but good. You mentioned something. I think you mentioned something. Uh, American oak and something else. Oh, okay. I would, something would assist. Yeah, I, I would have. I would have mentioned a couple of herbs that are popularly used uh, by medical herbalists to improve circulation, and obviously, uh, any improvement would be very dependent upon how compromised the circulatory system was. Uh, but yeah. as, as a general rule. We place a lot of emphasis, or have placed a lot of emphasis, on the American herb called prickly ash. Um, it's not as popularly known today as it was years ago, but most medical herbalists trained in the Western herbal medicine uh, system would stock and use prickly ash as a primary remedy for peripheral circulatory problems. It is usually, however, in the context of herbal medicine dispensing, um, prescribed in conjunction with a synergist such as ginger. And ginger it might seem quaint uh, to be used for circulatory problems, but in our system, when it is chronically used, it functions to improve circulation, particularly when combined and function as a synergist with prickly ash. So a medical herbalist using liquid herbs would prescribe a combination incorporating the correct dose of prickly ash in combination with the synergist tincture of ginger. So that is one approach. On the other hand, uh, in European herbal medicine, the herb horse chestnut is most popularly used, and it has similar characteristics to the two herbs that I've mentioned, but is much more of European use and origin. Those three herbs, in my opinion, probably represent uh, the best and safest herbs in uh, European and Western herbal medicine to attempt to improve any circulatory distress. But I would also say um, that with any of these circulatory problems, um, I always recommend, always recommend that bioflavonoids be incorporated into the person's lifestyle as a daily supplement because your GP would know that many of the bioflavonoids, one in particular called rutin, R-U-T-I-N, is renowned for promoting peripheral circulation, particularly when it implicates the lymphatic system. So there's a bit of a, an information base for you to work on. Probably what would be the best would be to kick off with a tableted preparation, say, of horse chestnut, and also utilise the bioflavonoids. Right, yeah, I'm not far from your rooms over there in your lamp and anyhow, so... Okay, well, they would know, obviously... Just to call over. Obviously, they would know what I prescribe. I would hope they would anyway, but if you mentioned that, I'm sure they'll be able to help you, and they're not expensive. Thanks, Larry. Now, uh, Diane has rung in on 49216216 from... From... Where are you from? Summerland Point, Diane. Hi, I was just wanting to clarify something about uh, ginkgo biloba and ginseng. Yes. I was under the impression that one of them reacted with blood thinners. Okay. And I was wondering if you were on taking aspirin, if there's one of them that you can't take. Okay. Ginkgo historically has been seen as an agent that interferes with what's called platelet aggregation and as such used to be presented as to, to be used with caution in people that are on blood thinners, particularly uh, the, the well-known blood thinner known as warfarin. Yeah. Now, in recent times, that has been questioned somewhat. Um, 
Nevertheless, what I say to people who are going to use ginkgo, if you are on a heavy um, anticoagulant drug such as warfarin, you must only use ginkgo with your doctor's awareness uh, so that he or she can monitor your levels to make sure that it's not interfering with your levels. So uh, ginkgo, uh, I have never found, by the way, in the many years that I've used ginkgo, even in people that have purchased it over the counter from retail outlets, I have never found that it has significantly interfered with their INR readings. But it's it's something if you're going to use and you, you are on anticoagulants, um, run it past your GP, despite what I have said. So aspirin's not really classed as a heavy duty dinner. Well, I don't see aspirin in the same context as I see some of the stronger ones. And I would be surprised and overwhelmed if using a ginkgo in the stipulated dose um, was, was problematical. But again, again, be guided by your medical practitioner and anyone who is using any uh, blood thinning medication, regardless of what it is, needs to be cautious about what things they use in conjunction with it, whether they be medical, pharmaceutical or natural health products. 49216216 is the number for your question to Dennis Stewart. Lynn has rung in from East Gresford. Hello, Lynn. G'day, Dennis. How are you, Lynn? Uh, I'm fair to middling. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm pleased. <laughs> that's, that's a load off my mind. Oh, that's good. Um, I get, I've got constant... A shoulder and knee mm. pain yes. or leg pain. Yes. I'm requiring a knee, total knee replacement and yes. I will be getting um, surgery on Good. my shoulder. Good. So in the meantime, mm. I'm on um, Cadaldrum Fort. Yes. And I take it every night mm. and sometimes during the day. Yes. I try not take too many. Good. Um, but... I often get tummy upsets due to the painkillers. What can I do, please? Well, have you mentioned this to your GP? Um, um, Put put it this way. Put it this way, Lynn. Some of the medications that are used to subdue pain um, can sometimes assault the gut wall and cause irritation or inflammation. You must mention that to your GP, but in the meantime, in the meantime, start to use some slippery elm. Okay. Now, I'll tell you why. Slippery elm puts a buffering uh, membrane on the gut wall as it passes through. It contains a substance called mucilage, M-U-C-I-L-A-G-E, and slippery elm is famous for addressing symptoms, particularly of the stomach, even things like ulceration of the stomach can be assisted by using slippery elm. Hiatus hernia is another condition that can be helped by the regular daily use of slippery elm. So what I'd suggest is you go to your health food store or your pharmacy and ideally use the slippery elm in a powdered form. I believe that some of the more sophisticated preparations, useful as they may be, um, assert their benefit further down the gastrointestinal tract and not necessarily in the upper part of it, whereas using the powder... And, and taking it as a powder and say in a smoothing, you get an immediate benefit on the, on, on the stomach wall, which can subdue some discomfort associated with taking some medication. You try that, Lynn. That's thanks for your question, Lynn. And uh, Heather's rung in from Minmai. Hello, Hi. Heather. 
Hello. Hello, Heather. Yes, I I have grade three bowel cancer. Mm-hmm. Somebody told me yesterday that a member of their family had it, and apricot kernels, or is it kernels or whatever, was a, a good thing to help with cancer. I dissent from that very, very strongly. Apricot kernels contain precursors for cyanide. And really? uh, and if you uh, take it, um, you run the risk, in my opinion, of poisoning yourself. Um, really? Cancer is not something, as you would appreciate, uh, that needs to be managed by lay people. I believe very strongly that complementary medicine is of use in the management of cancer but only as a complement to the mainstream. Yes, I would, want two different lots of I chemo. would understand. And what I would caution you is not to listen to the advice that one gets uh, around the traps, so to speak, frequently from lay people yep. or off the internet. Um, it's not just like that. And I have seen people, believe you me, Heather, over my 35 years, um, do some silly things in trying to do something which their best oncologists are having difficulty with. Take a hint from me, don't go down that pathway, and I say that to all listeners, don't go down the pathway of using those things. You'll end up poisoning yourself. And health naturally is what you're listening to at the moment with Dennis Stewart taking your calls. And Dennis, we've got Ron who's rung in from Broadmeadow. Hello, Ron. How are you going, mate? I'm well, Ron. How are you? Uh, not too bad, I suppose. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I've had a uh, full knee replacement. Yes. And I got cellulitis on top of it oh, as well. That's nasty, isn't it? That's nasty. Yeah. Nasty staph infection. Yeah, well, I've had two bouts of uh, antibiotics. Yes. Like, uh, a fairly long one at the hospital. Yes. I was in rehab for 20 days. Yes. And then... When I got home, the doctor put me on another lot for, uh, you know. To reinforce uh, the effect. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well, I don't know, my legs still feel tight, like, okay. you know, and then red. Okay. Well, for the sake of listeners, I'll just expra- explain. Cellulitis is a nasty infection that's characterised by the following simple symptoms. Uh, infection, usually a staph infection redness, a lot of swelling and a lot of, uh, a lot of edema. Very painful and potentially life-threatening. term blood poisoning, an old term, is not a bad way of describing it. So the use of antibiotics is absolutely, absolutely necessary because it's the only thing that I'm aware that can get hold of the infection and subdue it. Now, my wife had cellulitis, so I know a little bit about it. Um, it's not uncommon to experience um, some residual uh, swelling and a lot of that can be associated with uh, lymphatic factors. The, the lymph system might be a little bit congested. Uh, the uh, you're, you're still obviously on the antibiotics. Uh, no, I've finished the last. Okay. Lot. Well, your doctors would obviously be keeping an eye on you. What I'd be suggesting you do to cover the sense of fullness and swelling that exists, get onto what are called some bioflavonoids. Now, your doctor would have no problem with that, and I've spoken about bioflavonoids this morning. Bioflavonoids are very, very useful for supporting the lymph system, which would be fundamentally implicated in this condition of yours, and promote improved lymph flow 
and lymph circulation, and that should reflect itself in some reduction of the swelling. Uh, people, for instance, that have had uh, procedures where lymph glands have been removed can frequently experience a little bit of lymphedema, and that is also an area where bioflavonoids are useful. So if I were in your situation... I'd run it past your GP. I'm sure we'd have no objection to it because these things are natural things. Uh, go and get some concentrated bioflavonoids and stay on them for a while. That would be my suggestion. And as far as, as, far as uh, using herbs is concerned, the herb echinacea, E-C-H-I-N-A-C-E-A, the herb echinacea made its reputation historically for addressing conditions such as infection and might be useful with your GP's concurrence as a medication, a herbal medication to use to seek to build the immune system and to lessen any reassertion of it. But run it past your GP. This condition you've been experiencing is nothing to fiddle with. Bioflavonoids, in my opinion, very useful perhaps a role for echinacea, but run it past your GP. There you go, Ron. Thanks for your call. And Karen has rung in from Cessnock. Hello, Karen. Hello. How are you? What's your question? Good. How are you? Good, Karen. How can we help you? Um, I'm going through menopause, as we all do. Yes. And, and I get these really bad hot flushes. Yes. And I can't take any um, prescribed medication because my mum had early signs of... Um, breast cancer. Yes, yes. And I'm just trying to find something because um, I can put up with them through the day, but when they keep mm. waking me up at the night time, and I can't sleep with my little fan on because it annoys hubby, yes. and he doesn't get any sleep. Okay. <laughs> now, look, it's not a very pleasant situation. Um, what I would suggest is a couple of little things that are inexpensive yeah. and can sometimes be remarkably useful. Um, yeah. I will start with the herb sage, S-A-G-E. Yeah. Now, sage is popularly used in Europe as a simple herbal tea. Oh, okay. I'm drink tea. <laughs> to, well, make up a herbal tea by using, say, a teaspoonful of the, the dried herb yeah. and pouring some hot water on just as though you're making a cup of coffee. Let yeah. it stand and then filter off the, the liquid or the herbal tea, the herbal infusion. Drink yeah. a couple of cups of those across the day. Does it matter okay. if it's hot or cold? No, it doesn't Dennis? really matter if it's hot or cold. Obviously, if you want to get the best benefit from sage, uh, you've got to use boiling water to make the tea, but yeah. then let it cool down, and you can take it as cool or as warm as you like. Uh, yeah. Sage is always a good starting base for flushing and particularly perspirational problems associated with what we call the change. Start with that. Um, Mark Brown in the in the plaza up there in Cessnock would would have sage, I'm sure. Yeah. And Mark would also reinforce what I have, have told you then. Other things you might think about if sage is not useful is a preparation called femarin, F-E-M-A-R-E-N. F-E-M-A-R-E-N. A-M. That was a, pro a preparation developed by one of my graduate students, Paul Keogh, who is a partner in the business that owns that product range. We get good results with femurin. It's based on herbs. I'm pretty confident it couldn't in any way complicate uh, your concerns. Yeah. Mark would also stock that, but try the sage first. See how you go with that. Give it a couple of weeks. If yeah. you're not doing well, try some femurin. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, good on you. Good, and good luck with that too. Um, 
Terry has rung in now. Our last call, I think, for today from Arcadia Vale. Hello, Terry. Hi, Dennis. How are you? I'm well, Terry. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Uh, look, I'm in m- nearly 60, so the question is around cramps. Yes. I seem to have a lot more cramps than I've ever had in my life. Yes. And I know that magnesium is a tablet that you take for it. I've learned that all my life, mm-hmm. but there seems to be a lot more now. And I went to the health food shop and they gave me a high dose, I think it's a 1,000 um, milligrams or whatever it is of the magnesium, but I'm still getting cramps. I'm just wondering, is it just magnesium I need? Or is it circulatory? Is it okay. I have varicose veins. Okay, okay. What I would say first up is what, what you need to do is to get the situation clarified. It might right. not. It might not be a problem associated with. Uh, it might not be a neurological problem. It might well be a circulatory problem. What oh, I've okay. what I've found is that magnesium is sometimes useful for neurological problems, nerve based pain. Um, I'm not as confident that it would have much effect on other factors that cause symptoms that we frequently refer to as cramping. We can sometimes oh, okay. we can sometimes get a condition called intermittent claudication, which uh, is manifests itself classically with pain when we're walking, and that is a distinctly circulatory problem. What I would suggest you do: uh, don't spend money um, haphazardly. Get the situation clarified. If, if it is a circulatory problem, in my opinion, there is a, no better remedy for addressing this problem than the herb ginkgo biloba. Okay. But don't spend money, any more money, until you get your GP to clarify it for you. Well, thanks for your call, and that's uh, Health Naturally for today, We'll have Dennis to take Stewart. up this topic of infertility again next week, we Jane, because we didn't will. get through it, and I wanted to give some hints there. Yes, more hints coming <laughs> next week Thank after you. the midday news on 2NURFM. Dennis Stewart will be with us.